Welcome to Thrive HR, a podcast by Thrive Pass. In this show, we sit down with industry leaders to explore the world of HR and everything it has to offer. I'm your host, Andreas Deptola. The thing that made us different at the time was integrating with Fitbit and Garmin and you know, Apple Watch didn't even exist at that time. But integrating with those technologies, that was our big differentiator. This is back in the late 2012 when we officially started. Today, those are just table stakes. On today's episode of Thrive HR, Andrea sits down with Nick Patel, founder and CEO at Wellable. The two discuss the changing landscape of employee wellness in the digital age and the importance of creative employee benefit plans. They also talk about the steps Wellable has taken to lead intentional thought leadership in the market. Nick, welcome to the show. Excited to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, so Nick, let's let's maybe reflect a little bit on, on your journey and specifically the reason for you to start your company. Well, yeah, so for me, uh, I think it started even before health and well-being specifically. I knew I wanted to be in an industry where I could do good and do well at the same time. And so my career actually started in investment banking. I wanted to be in the technology sector. So I specifically focused on healthcare technology because that interest that I had, that eventually led me to go work for one of our clients, another healthcare technology company. It was my first time really operating in the industry as opposed to like a service provider in the industry. And what I realized at that time is something I think I always knew, but didn't like really hit home was that most of the solutions we're offering were to help people get better or to overcome disease, right? Very, very few things are really engaging individuals and saying, you know, rather than help you treat diabetes, how do we prevent you from becoming pre-diabetic or even getting to one of those stages in the first place? So that's when my interest started perking up. At the same time, iPhone had just, apps were coming out to the iPhone that you know, never existed before. Fitbit had just come out with their first activity tracker. So it wasn't even one you put on the wrist. It was one that you like literally clipped to your belt. Really the only real feature of it was the fact that there was a Bluetooth connection that could tell you your steps in the app. It was super simple. My fitness pal became the first uh, kind of digital, you know, app-based uh, nutrition guide that you can kind of log your uh, food diary in and stuff like that. All these things were happening. And from my perspective, like that is the future. This is where people are going to start spending and engaging in technologies to improve their health and well-being. At the same time, I was working for a bunch of different companies at that time in my career. All of them had wellness programs, which is a little bit unique. It was I didn't recognize that at the time that I just happened to work for different companies that had programs. And all of them were ones where I participated because I had some incentive or some reason to do so, but I really didn't like extract a real benefit from it. So just a personal interest in health and well-being, moving upstream to prevention rather than like disease management and this whole ecosystem of new technologies were all coming out. That led me not to start a company, but to tell a bunch of other people they should start this company. And after several months of telling a lot of people they should start this company, having some dialogue about what it means, what it would look like, things like that, I kind of just you know took the leap. I said, look, I need if someone's not going to do it, I should be the person who tries. And I just kind of made the leap, and the, the rest is history. Yeah, it's super interesting to hear that. Like two things essentially came together, right? Your your personal passion, right, about like solving that that problem, but then also it seems like that without the new technology coming out as a fundamentally, you know, the infrastructure, the iPhone, all of these things, you know, it might have not worked, right, in in the way it, it did work out for you. Yeah, exactly. And what's kind of interesting is the thing that made us different at the time was integrating with Fitbit and Garmin and you know Apple Watch didn't even exist at that time. But integrating with those technologies, that was our big differentiator. And this is back in the 
late 2012 is when we officially started. Today, those are just table stakes. Mm-hmm. Like what, what, what was our biggest differentiator 10 years ago is something that if you don't have, you're not even a, a real player and something that we don't even like lean into in terms of what makes us different. So you started the company in 2012, right? Like how has since then, and, and I feel like now is in the, the last couple of years, it feels like time has just like flown by for, for many reasons for, for many of us, but like, you know, since you start the company, how has the, the market shifted and then how is available and your team adapted? Yeah. So I think some of these trends were happening before we started. I think that was the, one of the desires that kind of led me from a practical perspective to want to start this company. But I think there's a shift away from clinical. So, you know, what I mean by that are things like biometric screenings, health risk assessments. These were staples of employee wellness programs going back to the original days and founding like the industry as a whole. And I think what people are realizing are, one is you can get them other places. So a biometric screening it may be better for that to get that blood draw after annual physical and you know, develop a relationship, develop a medical record with their primary care physician, things like that, rather than going to the office conference room, getting drawn and you know having questions around privacy, what does my company have my data, things like that. The same thing with the health risk assessment. Both of those two services have been slowly declining, kind of leading into the start of our company. They continue to slowly decline in the early days of our company. And what I think happened during COVID, which is probably something that happened to most industries, I don't know if COVID fundamentally changed the world that we operate in. I think it really accelerated the changes that are already happening. And in the case of HRAs and biometric screenings, accelerated the drop in investment in those programs. The good news, I think it's the right step for the industry. I don't think all the studies kind of indicate that those were not effective solutions. So as those kind of declined, the question is, well, what took their place? And that's where Wellable wanted to fill the void. No matter, in most cases, if you're looking to live a healthier lifestyle, you don't necessarily need to get a blood draw to know that being more physically active, eating better, sleeping better, all these things have real impacts on your health. And so we want to be in that lifestyle management type program, which includes doing those type of things. And so that's what we built our product on. We offer a very technology forward, technology centric. And so for us, it's integrating with these third party platforms, building out some proprietary solutions on our own, and really just supporting the employees who are using our platform to engage in those activities. So, so you mentioned, and, and we see the same here, right? Like the, the decline of the more traditional well-being programs, right? Your health risk assessment and whatnot. Can totally echo that. Now, if you talk a little bit about where the industry is going, let's dive a little bit more into that. What, what, what kind of trends would you expect here over the next three to five years where the industry will go? What, what, what new demands will we see from, from employer groups? Yeah, so we are very eager to understand this question. So we, uh, we started a group called Wellable Labs and Wellable effectively is our thought leadership group. And it effectively took a number of different initiatives that we are doing without a separate organization and kind of housed into one group and kind of expanded the mandate. One of those initiatives was this thing called the Employee Wellness Industry Trends Report. This year, 2022 is our fifth annual version. So we had good now like longitudinal data for like the last five years of what it looks like. And, you know, a couple of kind of just, you know, headline trends that we've identified is one is the absolute dollars going to employee wellness programs are not increasing at some significant rate. So people kind of feel like, and depending on where you are in this ecosystem, I'm in a growth industry, we're not really in a growth industry. We're in a heavily shifting industry. So if you're in biometric screenings and health risks, you're probably feeling like your industry shrinking. And if you're in mental health and other things like that, you probably feel like you're having very strong growth in your kind of core solution. So just in general, the industry as a whole, which you know kind of is an umbrella for a lot of different terms, 
and a lot of different programs is largely kind of flat, but depending on where you are, there are pockets of growth, right? So the areas that we've discovered, I mentioned one, mental health. So this is similar to the COVID comment I mentioned earlier. COVID really accelerated those trends, didn't really change them. People were beginning to have more and more conversations about mental health in the workplace. COVID kind of put some gasoline to that fire. And now it's not seen as a kind of unprofessional or taboo to have conversations with your manager saying, I don't feel mentally well, or I need a mental health day or things like that. Employers recognize this. They're kind of hearing the megaphone, so to speak, from the employees. And so they're investing in all those types of technologies. Another thing that was kind of heavily impacted by COVID was telemedicine. It existed for a while. People were slowly adopting it. But the minute it became a little bit scary to walk into a physician's office, telemedicine took off, stress management programs, resilience programs. What we're finding in our industry too, people kind of lump in COVID protection as an employee wellness program. So whether it's like vaccination programs or, you know, protective equipment or things like that, they're kind of finding their way under the employee wellness umbrella. So it seems like from, from the research that you did, right, mm-hmm. uh, the, the dollars, the total budget is, is pretty much the same, right? Or maybe increases slightly, but you're, you're finding a, a pretty dramatic shift in terms of where people are investing money into, right? So you mentioned now it's much more about mental health, stress management, burnout prevention, these kind of topics. On, on the flip side, what are categories where companies have deployed money in the past and now are deploying it elsewhere? So I think there's a common theme. So there's two buckets. One, I would call kind of legacy solutions or ineffective solutions. They've been around for a while. So a lot of people are doing it because their other competitors were doing it or things like that. Those are the things like biometric screenings, um, health risk assessments, things like that. <clears throat> the other one is, I think, a reflection of the hybrid work environment that we're going into. So heavy on-site benefits, thinking things like on-site fitness classes, health fairs, in the case of some larger companies, on-site clinics, where they have like a physician office in the clinic or a physician office in the office building or space, those type of things are getting kind of defunded or just completely removed altogether. And the reason is, well, 50% of our workforce isn't coming in. We're allocating a lot of dollars and budget to some programs that are not addressing the broader employee population. And that's most kind of most significant for companies that are maybe all remote or mostly remote and things like that. The other thing I would kind of just mention is, I think there's just been a greater acceptance of digital tools right? Whether it's Zoom or whatever it may be. So companies are more, I think, inclined to say, you know what, we can replace on-site classes with just a library of on-demand fitness content that people can do in their homes. At work, if they want to put it on a conference room TV, they can still do that. It's highly produced. It's really valuable. You can have some semi-celebrity trainers you know, get involved and things like that. And what's good about those programs are, one is they're ubiquitous in terms of they can address any type of population employee, no matter where they are, they tend to also be really high quality, but they tend to also be cheaper. To have like on-site fitness classes regularly for a company, that can be fairly costly as opposed to an on-demand solution. And those, I think that's one of the reasons you see the market just from a dollar perspective, not really growing. It's because that shift is often from higher cost solutions like a biometric screening or an on-site fitness class to an on-demand content library, which at a per employee level is just cheaper. So technology has it. Uh, a way of being deflationary. And I think in our industry, it also rings true. So Nick, where would you say, like, you know, specifically, you, you mentioned that there's a trend to digital products, to certain apps, right? Whether that is for your workout, but specifically maybe for mental well-being, resilience, stress management. Um, 
what kind of innovative solution do you see in the market? Are there certain players um, that, that you're watching or recommending to, to the ecosystem? Yeah, so I think, I mean, not to mention specific companies, I think the areas that I'm most interested in, where I think we can make the greatest kind of strong are in sleep. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing more and more activity trackers, even ones that are not like maybe incredibly popular, like the Aura Ring, right? Which is like a, a wearable device that's literally a ring that you wear around your finger. That's kind of signature item is it's to some degree of sleep tracking. Whoop, which is more like a device that's designed for more traditional athletes, you know, and professional athletes use it often. But the reason professional athletes use it is not because they're trying to track their steps. They're not really concerned about that metric. It's all about regeneration, sleep. Are you getting enough of that recovery portion of your life? And so I'm most interested in how we do that. What's unique about our perspective is less about pushing the envelope and producing the most innovative solution, because sometimes the most innovative solution is just too costly for an employer to deploy, right? Like having everyone go through a sleep test is probably too expensive for any employer to really consider. So what we really focus on are solutions that can be deployed to a thousand employees without like some incredible amount of budget. And I think that's where you're going to explore with like devices, like the the Aura Band. Hopefully these technologies continue to be more common. So maybe Apple Watch, which is also investing in sleep, can, can like make some more strides there. But I think the technology is kind of the device hardware are out there. How do we find better ways to measure and capture certain metrics? that allows to provide actual intelligence in ways to improve that kind of area or dimension of well-being. The second area is really mental health. I don't know if there's a really good solution. If there was, I think we'd be personally investing heavily into it. We're finding a lot of companies are offering meditation classes and mindfulness classes. And for some people, there's no question that works. I don't know if we can kind of confidently say it's working for the broader population, especially because the mental health needs are just different. Some people are just going through certain amounts of stress that they need to manage. And that can be managed well through meditation and mindfulness. But for others, those type of practices just don't resonate with them. Or they're just so far beyond just being chronically stressed that they're in some clinical, you know, chronic condition that they need to have professional help. And so I'm not sure what the best solution there. I given the diversity of the needs, the mental health needs, I think what you're going to see is a really progressive company offering a wide array of solutions where they try to grab every kind of bucket of employees where they could be, you know, where someone is mentally well now, but may not be in the future. They need a different set of kind of resources than someone who's like very mentally unwell and needs like really strong. I'm interested in how the market, specifically the digital world, right? Not having just a therapist for every person progresses and how that eventually bleeds into um, what we do at the employer level. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's so many different solutions out there, right? And and to your point, different employees have different needs, right? What have you seen or what has your your research provided in terms of how are HR professionals these days making the decisions, right? Of like where to invest into, where to divest, right? What, what, what to focus on? What are some of the def- decision influencers that you've seen? Yeah, so I think like most kind of, budgetary requirements for a company, there's just a lot of competing interests that are, you know, are trying to fight over the same dollar, right? And so I think every HR person to some degree is going through that, even ones with a lot, especially with those with, you know, not as much. One element is kind of just addressing the rising cost of benefits. When we talk to HR folks, they're thinking not just even for employee wellness, for all the other things, healthcare, facilities management, professional development, all the things that they're trying to address uh, from an HR perspective, are rising in costs. 
and they're trying to identify, well, what matters more? If I have to choose between putting a dollar to professional development or employee wellness, I recognize both are really important. I have to make a choice. Do I split it 50 cents, 50 cents? Do I invest more in one or the other? And they're all trying to address that challenge. And I'm not sure if there's a good answer. The only kind of guidance I always give, if you haven't done already, survey your employees and hopefully those results will give you the guidance for where the biggest pain areas or where you can get the most bang for your buck as it relates to benefits. The other two are just really matching employer-employee interests. So, you know, often it's easy to assume that we're all kind of in the same bucket and seeing the, the world exactly the same, but sometimes those interests do kind of conflict with each other and not just in costs, right? But in other ways. So how do you kind of manage those? And that kind of dovetails really nicely into where most of the the press or kind of the media attention goes to is it's really hard to retain talent. There's a great resignation going on. People are losing talent. How do you maintain that? And the first answer everyone says is like, get creative, get creative with your benefit plan. Offer creative, competitive benefit plans, whether it's health insurance, access to flexible work schedules, you know, remote work, professional development credits, whatever it may be. Create these benefit plans that make you really different because every company can offer a salary. Going the extra mile on these things that most companies may not offer, like you know, Thrive Pass or other things, can maybe you know make the world of difference. And so we find the desire, especially in this tight labor market, to as you try to match employee employer interests, really almost lean toward the employee one because the cost to replace an employee or to hire new employees is just so high right now. You need to proactively be think about everything you can do to recruit and retain, recruit and retain your employees. And it's, it's certainly something like in every conversation, like, you know, with CEOs, with HR leaders, like everybody's seeing it, right? The Thai labor market, the war for talent. You know, one of the interesting things that I've read recently is, is now like, you know, the great regret. So employees essentially that, that moved during the pandemic and like, you know, there's always the theme of like the grass is always green on the other side. And, and, and now they're coming back and it's called like, you kind of like the, the, the boomerang kind of principle, right? Where, you know, if somebody leaves on, on good terms, right? And, and, and they want to come back that, that, that's a new trend. Now I'm curious to see, you know, with, with inflation still going up, right? And, 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 uh, couple of other things, how this will develop like over the next couple of years, right? Because it's certainly not not sustainable what, what we're seeing right now. Yeah, for sure. The world is going to be changing. I can't imagine what the world looks like a year from now and how we'll be looking back and thinking, wow, that changed a lot. I feel like everyone explained COVID changed the world and they kind of understood that. And I still, I think a lot of people are coming back to this concept of like, we're going to go back to a new normal, which is going to be slower change. And I'm not sure if I feel that personally. I feel like the next year, two years, we're going to continue this rapid set of changes, partially because people are testing things out. They're trying to still digest what it means to you know, have a hybrid workforce and things like that. It's funny you mentioned that stat. I, I forget the exact number, but it's pretty high in terms of the number of individuals who've changed jobs and kind of have buyer's remorse or regret or you know, thought that pastures were always greener. And that doesn't mean that the, you know, if 50% of people believe that, that's still 50% were happy with their decision. So it doesn't mean a lot of people aren't leaving and making smart decisions about it, but there is a significant group of people who leave, obviously with the intention of thinking they're taking a step in the right direction for whatever that means for them, whether it's better pay, better benefits, a clearer career trajectory, things like that, who get there and realize, you know, this new company has its own set of problems. It's just, it's just an interesting thing to think about because I think if I could be in the shoes of someone who's leaving and they're making that kind of choice to move on, 
I wonder if they've gone through the full calculus of what those are. And also recognize that when you're getting recruited, those individuals are always telling you about all the good things that happen at the company. And there's no company. Those things are always there, but there are also some things they're probably not telling you because just every company has its own set you know, challenges that they have to go through. What are you doing personally? Like if, if you focus now on, on, on your organization, right? We, we, we said like we all see it like, you know, in terms of attracting and retaining the, the, the right talent. Are there certain tangible things that you have implemented over like change in terms of policies or whatnot over the last uh, couple of years uh, where you have seen positive impact? Yeah. So I mean, not that long ago, we were a pretty small business and we've grown substantially and continue to grow. So for us, every year, we're just announcing more and more benefits that we didn't have. Some of them are ones that are maybe considered staple, like disability insurance or what have you. But you know, a year ago, that's not something that, that we had. And so we're still doing those type of things. I think the value prop of our company specific, and I think it still holds stay. A year ago, two years ago, it definitely held true. And as we grow, it becomes less and less um, significant. I just think companies grow and they shift and they begin to change their value prop. But for us, it was our business is growing pretty rapidly. We're hiring a lot of different people. That is going to lead to new opportunities, many of which we don't even know about. You know, just I know we mentioned Wellable Labs, but two years ago, if you told me Wellable Labs would have existed, I would say probably not. Not something that's on our radar, but just with growth, with things that are happening, things and those opportunities present themselves. And so a big pitch that we make is to employees at all kind of levels of the organization, from junior level employees to more senior is that we're adding more folks. There's more opportunities for whether management roles or new positions that we couldn't foresee that are going to open up. And there's just a lot of career growth that can happen here. That being said, when you're a high growth company, you're always kind of putting out fires. So the stress of having to manage that yeah. would be the, you know, it's not a stable business. Businesses that are not growing top line tend to have like kind of really cushy environments. And we're just not that, but the benefit is something else. So we're looking for someone who like is willing to, be flexible in that way for the benefit of having a lot of career growth and trajectory. Another thing that we lean into, I think I actually commented about this on LinkedIn the other day, was for me, when I was early in my career, I made a big emphasis. And I, didn't, I don't think I fully appreciated it at the time was choose where you're going to work based on who your direct boss was and all the other people who are going to kind of senior in your organization because they're going to teach you more than just like that that specific job. They're going to teach you just life skills in general. And so for me, I realized I go back to like my pre-wellable and look back and I go how lucky I was to have the mentors and the managers I did have. And if I didn't have those individuals or if they were, you know, 80% of the quality of individual that I had, like my life would be drastically different. And so when I talk and interview and recruit employees, I go, you know, hopefully you like me, right? I'm talking to you, but you should talk to our most senior people and we, you have access to them and the various account, the way we do our interview process and get used to like knowing that you value Ashley as a person, Kelsey as a person, Jeff as a person, because they're going to have huge influences on your development. And if you're coming here, it's about career growth, professional development, personal development. That's our value prop that we're putting to the market. Yeah, and certainly different people are looking for different things in their career, right? So I think by just being very transparent about what you stand for right growth as a company personal growth career growth right and and the flip side of that right what, what you're demanding for that right you're, you're probably also weeding out certain people right for for might, might not be the right fit for them right but being intentional certainly helpful for the culture 
One of the probably best career advice that I got early on in my career from one of my managers was to say like, hey, don't look for the last $2 in a paycheck, right? Uh, go to a company that uh, it's really a learning environment, right? To your point where you have a great manager, a great team, and that will be much more beneficial in the, in the long run. That was really impactful for me. So I want to, Nick, I want to go back to, uh, you mentioned Wellable Labs a couple of times, right? I'm not sure if I'm characterizing this uh, in the right way. It seems like that that's, that's a new, new baby for you. It's, it's a passion product for you. Tell us more about the concept. What is Wellable Labs trying to achieve? Where are you right now and where do you, where, where do you want to take it? Yeah, I, I even give you a little history of kind of how Wellable Labs came up. But when we first started the company, I was given the advice to start blogging personally. And the, at the time, it was like, well, we're going to all these kind of sales meetings or talking to our clients who, you know, new customers, how to do this or how to do that. And like the questions they were having were questions we were having, and they just weren't being documented anywhere. And often we would give them our guidance, but they're like, well, why is that the guidance? Well, there's all this research that suggests that this is the best path forward. So we just said, like, let's organize our thoughts. There's some benefit where maybe these, you know, blogs would generate business too, because there'd be some SEO, right, what have you. But we started effectively putting our thoughts down on paper uh, or online once a week. We realized there's so many things that we want to talk about. So it started becoming twice a week. Then we started saying, look, most of the blogs are we're taking other people's research and then like you know, summarizing and then commenting on it. Why don't we go out and produce our own? Then you had five years ago the first annual employee wellness industry report come out. And then since then we've done other proprietary researches, research, we've launched webinars. Eventually we started looking at, wow, we have all this content producing that kind of happened unintentionally in some ways. And we want to make sure it's still thought leadership. It's not being influenced by internal interest in the organization, like sales or what have you. Like we don't want to change the quality of a piece because it's going to make it rank better on SEO. We didn't want to have that influence. So we said, let's, we have enough activity. We had an internal employee who was interested in owning it. So it's a good example of how well the labs you know, created opportunities for people. And we carved it out as a separate organization, has a separate website. So like it's wellbelabs.com, which is separate from the Wellable website. And there, the core mission is really thought leadership. And we did deliver that through a couple of core mediums. And we're kind of exploring and diving into other ones and figure out what works best. But we continue to blog twice a week. Every month, we host a webinar with a kind of a speaker or presenter on specific topics. So like this month, everyone, this is the month I feel like everyone's coming back to work. And so I think that actually the presentation may be today, I forget. But it's a concept specifically focusing on like stress management when returning to work. Like the stress of actually saying for two years, I've worked remotely, how do I transition back and things like that. But each each you know month has a different topic, all related to health and well-being. We launch a book club. So once a quarter, we have a blog book that the author kind of leads online discussion, you know, topics and things like that. We do some proprietary research, proprietary papers that are more like long form in nature. And I think the ultimate goal is to build an online community. So what we're doing is having people register for our newsletter, engage with our content. And once we kind of feel like we have a big enough community we're going to support like an online, truly online community where the, the content can be user generated. People can express, you know, hey, I'm struggling with this specific area of my employee wellness program. How can I help? But they don't necessarily need to be wellable customers. This is meant to be a free resource for anyone who's interested in the space, but really serve as a way for us to push out thought leadership, but then recognize our community has a ton of good ideas and have them serve as a way to kind of share those ideas to everyone else. And, and besides consuming the content, what are ways for, you mentioned the, the, the aspect of community, right? 
book club and whatnot. What, what are ways for, for our audience to, to get involved in, in Wellable Labs? Yeah, so I mean, the best way to go get involved would be go to wellablelabs.com. There are just a lot of different resources that you can consume content-wise, as you've noticed or noted. Right now, our ultimate goal is to build a true online community. We were given the guidance. You need a certain number of people to launch with before you ever start slowly because then it'll just kind of die on the vine. So that's our goal. We currently have 60,000 people subscribed to our newsletter. That's separate Wellable Labs. So Wellable Labs is kind of starting from scratch. I think we have anywhere from four to 5,000 on the list today. I don't know what the magic number is, but once we had enough individuals knowing us, we'll probably do a survey. Hey, who's ready to join a community? Who wants to be an early adopter? And if we can get a thousand people who are ready to be active participants in the community, then we'll launch, launch it. So it's already, because it needs to be self-sustainable from the, the beginning, right? It can't just be us producing context. We're already doing that today. So that's kind of uh, the threshold, the ultimate goal is to get to a place where you have people who are very, want to be very active online in their industry and creating a forum by which they can do that. So, so Nick, you, you, are, you, you and the organization are thought leaders, right? You're producing the, the content and whatnot. Where do you personally get inspiration from? Like, what are, what are the conferences you go to, the podcasts, the books you're, you're reading? So I'm a big podcast person. So I kind of religiously follow uh, Masters of Scale. That's Reed Hoffman's mm -hmm. podcast, a former founder of LinkedIn. He effectively interviews different entrepreneurs about the journey. And what you find out is every startup, you know, kind of founding journey has a ton of roadblocks and ton of challenges. Even the ones that we hear about, they're like, wow, these companies are just crushing it. And you forget how many times maybe they're just on the brink of absolute failure, but they were able to kind of persevere, show resilience to get through. And there are also specific lessons about how they chose to address a market challenge or whatever it may be. And so I find learning through real life stories is really helpful. And I feel uh, master of scale is a really good kind of way to do that. Another one that's very, very similar is how I built this. It's Guy Raz and NPR, same concept. He interviews founders of businesses. I think what's a little bit different about his is master of scale or all you know, the concept that uses blitz scaling. So you're dealing with a lot of companies that didn't exist 15 years ago that are massive businesses today, as opposed to how I built this. There are a lot more stories of people who did over 30 years, uh, maybe weren't you know, VC founded, not necessarily technology companies, because you're still, you can learn a lot from direct to consumer or what have you. So those are my probably two favorite ones. I just always see what's new. And I always share those ones I really like with people on our team. I find there's always stories that can relate to what we do. In terms of books, you know, I read a lot of books, but it's not always about business. I think the one I always tell people to read, and this is one I read maybe in the early, early days of Bubble, is The Hard Thing About Hard Things. It's Ben Horowitz's book. It's, he's founder of Opsware. Now he's a partner at Andreessen Horowitz or AC16. And that is the story. If you hear of all the masters of scale stories and all the how I built the story for any other business, would have just absolutely killed him, like put him out of business. And he did it multiple times. It means, you know, a lot of competing interests, right? There's situations where it's tough to do layoffs. And you had to go through that. Repricing stock options, all those challenges just to persevere and finally get through it. I thought it was absolutely an incredible story. Um, it's very well written. So when people ask me for one book, I always throw that out. But I read that book, you know, eight years ago or something. Yeah, I, I can echo that. It's, it's a great book and it shows uh, the importance for resilience, right? We talked earlier about like stress management and, and, and all of these things, right? So a great, great example for that. So Nick, if somebody wants to connect with you, dive more into the topics we discussed today, what, what's, what's the best way to connect? Yeah, you can reach out to me directly on my email. It's nick, N-I-C-K, at wellable.co. So non.com, just at co. Also, if you're looking just for good resources, I always tell people, start with their blog. It's twice a week. 
Um, it's really simple. Simple. They're maybe 800, 1200 words uh, a piece, but they're concise, informative, helpful. Anyone in HR that's ever read it has nothing but good things to say. Um, also, you can check out Wobble Labs. You can check out our website. There are tons of areas for just free stuff that you can uh, use to either build a wellness program, learn about HR and health and well-being, or just kind of think about human performance in general. Well, thanks a lot, for, Nick, for, for, for the offer. And uh, it was great to have you on the show today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. This podcast is sponsored by ThrivePass, a trusted HR partner for innovative benefits technology. From lifestyle spending accounts to pre-tax to COBRA administration, ThrivePass has you covered. We personalize benefits. You thrive as the employer of choice. More at thrivepass.com.